This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today you'll meet Lauren Van Uick. Loren is an engaging speaker, a registered social worker, foster mom, and agricultural mental health advocate. She has appeared in numerous radio, television, and print articles concerning the issues of adoption, foster care, mental wellness, and mental health in the agriculture sector. She and her husband raise sheep in southwestern Ontario and is a doctorate student and a founding member and CEO of the National Farmer Mental Health Alliance. Loren seeks to meet the needs of farmers and their families across Canada and the U.S., I'm very excited for you to meet Lauren. I had the privilege of hearing her speak in 2023 at a conference that I attended. And I have to be honest with you, um, what she spoke about brought me to tears. And uh, I can't wait for you to hear all of the goodness that she has to share with us today. Before we get to Loren's interview, I just want to share with you a listener review. We haven't had one of these in a while, so I'm so excited to share this with you. This five-star rating and review is titled, Always Good. Love the Rural Woman podcast. It always spotlights a diverse selection of agricultural pursuits and is always well-produced, and I am always left feeling inspired. Keep it up. And that is from Elaine Van via Apple Podcast in the U.S. Thank you so much, Elaine, for your kind rating and review over on Apple. And my friends, this is one of the best things that I get to read uh, in my inbox every week is when there is a new listener review. So please, if you 
love the show, leave a kind rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. This helps more like-minded folks in agriculture find the incredible stories of women in agriculture. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Lauren. Lauren, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you today? Oh, I am fabulous. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. It feels like, Caitlin, you and I have connected, it feels like months ago. And so finally, we get a chance to really have a good heart to heart. I love it. Yes, we were chatting before I hit record, how many times we've tried to sit down and speak with one another and it just didn't work out. But I feel like this is the kickoff to my 2024 recording season. So I feel like it's right. It feels like it was the right time. Oh, that's, awesome. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's it, it. Yeah. Fabulous. Exciting. Yes. So Lauren, tell us who you are, where you're from and how you got your start in agriculture. Oh, awesome. So I was a little girl, grew up on a small farm, and I used to love to walk my sheep down the road, and it caused all sorts of people to stop and ask if they could pet my sheep. So my start in agriculture, my love for livestock and my love for the land began very early. And then um, I met and married my husband, who was from Prince Edward Island, and his dad worked on potato farm. And so we I I got to learn all sorts about potato industry on Prince Edward Island. And then we settled in southwestern Ontario and we have a sheep farm here and we have an on-farm bakery and a few other value-added products. So that's kind of in a really small nutshell, my introduction to agriculture. So you were born and bred into agriculture and I love that you would take your sheep for a walk. As a child, as a grown adult, I've been known to take my goats for a walk uh, around the neighborhood and uh, I think the neighbors (laughs) just shake their head at me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They just have to give it a try once and they'll be sold. Exactly, exactly. So tell us more about your current operation. When did you move to Southwest Ontario and what made you and the potato farmer decide that sheep was going to be part of your operation? So uh, we lived in Red Lake, Ontario, which is kind of considered the far north in Ontario, which is seven hours north of Thunder Bay. And then we moved to Winnipeg, Manitoba, and then moved back home to southwestern Ontario. And it was always our dream. There was something for us about raising our kids on a farm that was really meaningful. You know, I, I, I think just we saw it as an opportunity to kind of grow together as well. We, we met and married very young and we had all sorts of dreams and and many of those dreams have come true and raising and uh, growing together on our farm was one of them. Actually, it's interesting to me because I use our stories in a lot of the, you know, talking opportunities that I have. And and one of them is learning to communicate on the farm was this whole different world <laughs> that I had no idea uh, kind of existed. So that happened in, uh, we moved back to Ontario in 2006 and began, we we bought our first small herd then, and then we expanded from there. And I grew up on a sheep farm. So I had a little bit of this experience with the, you know, I also had a nursing background. And so I had the experience with some of the more nurturing aspects of raising young uh, lambs and some of the tender loving care that they required early on. And uh, my husband had a lot more experience with uh, the equipment and 
kind of the some of the larger operation uh, pieces. Right. So you just meshed all of those skills together, and now here you are. We did not easily though. It took it takes a lot of work to do that meshing piece, right? <laughs> right. That hard work in the meshing. I think those are the things that part of us tries to forget as we move forward in our lives. But those are important pieces that you know make us who we are today and how we're able to communicate and run successful operations. But I know in any early years of whether it's marriage or a company, a farm, whatever it is, those are hard years. They are. They are. They're growing years. We learn a lot about ourselves, right? For sure. And so, yeah, so it's been, it's been a fun journey. So we still have, we still have sheep and now we have some laying hens and a few other extra pieces to our puzzle. We've raised pigs and turkeys and had a few ponies on the farm. And so, (laughs) yeah, we've gotten to learn a lot. You mentioned a bakery and I'm just asking out of curiosity, what kind of bakery do you have? And can I come to your bakery? (laughs) Yes, you can come. So it's, it, it, it began about, well, I guess during COVID, our daughter was chosen. She came to live with us when she was 18 needed some things to do. And so I said, well, I'll help you do some baking and you can set up a little stand at the end of the road. We live on a pretty busy kind of country road. And so she did, and she sold $800 worth of donuts basically in the first day. (laughs) So she thought it was quite lucrative. And from there it grew. And uh, for the most part, we bake bread. We bake a bread called challah bread, which is a Jewish friendship bread. And uh, sourdough, of course, is a favorite of many. I baked a couple of loaves of sourdough this morning. We bake honey whole wheat, all sorts of different breads. And then we, of course, have some desserts. And what we learned is if I bake with a few helpers all day on Fridays, and then we took it to the farmer's market on Saturdays, and we sold our lamb and some of our other kind of value added. So we have wool, obviously, from our sheep. So we have wool dryer balls and wool quilts, batting and things like that, that we are able to sell them at the farmer's markets and really build our sense of community with within that. It's, it's really a beautiful relationship. I really love going to the farmer's markets because it's an opportunity for our communities to really, you know, support farmers in one aspect, but really kind of value. I don't really like the term so much support as much as I do kind of value and appreciate what the farmers bring to our community. And so, uh, so I love, I love that aspect of our business. Very cool. And I have to say, I'm really hungry now that you've <laughs> told me about all of the good things at your farm compared to what's at my farm right now. And none of it sounds as good as that. So So not only are you a farmer, you have a very important off-farm job. So tell us more about what you do to fill your day. So I am a registered social worker in the province of Ontario, and I have a master's in mental health counseling. I'm actually a PhD student at the University of Guelph right now. And I have the absolute privilege of walking with farmers when the walking's tough. And so I have had numerous times where I have been able to kind of help people when they're struggling in an industry where we're not always really good about articulating we need some support. In our industry, we're really good to ask our fellow farmers if we need help with a sprayer or we need help with equipment repair. Uh, But we're not always so good when we need help from an emotional standpoint you know, or when we're feeling kind of stuck. And so, yeah, the term mental health would probably be plastered across with my name, but it's really about helping one another kind of find the rhythm again that makes farming uh, and agriculture in general 
that sustenance of life. So, so that's where myself and a couple of other social workers got together and we formed a company called the National Farmers Mental Health Alliance. And so we work with clinicians all across Canada, some in the United States, we even have one in the UK now who have taken, a, you know, appropriate training to and have lived farm experience so that we can make sure that farmers are really getting the support that they need. Some of the most critical research that's been done by Caitlin Vagro out of uh, Australia and uh, some more local here at University of Guelph, Dr. Leith Deacon and uh, Dr. Andrew Jones-Bitten and her team really centers on the fact that there's barriers for farmers to access support. And so our goal is to help reduce those barriers and make sure that people are able to speak farmer, for lack of a better term. I'm actually coming out to Alberta in April to speak with a group of physicians about, you know, how do you incorporate kind of the language of agriculture and and how do you ensure that you're actually able to meet those needs and pick up on those pieces when farmers are struggling. For sure. And so that's my off-farm job, which is actually it's it's incredible. It's such a privilege to hear those stories. And thank you for hearing those stories. I'm curious what drove you or interested you in the field of mental health to begin with? Well, that's a, a great question. Uh, I actually began working before I did my master's uh, for children's aid. And uh, as many of you know, that's, of course, working to advocate for children. But I felt as though it didn't support where the real healing needed to happen. And so I, I sought a counseling degree in order to help the moms and the dads and the families. Many of them that I worked with were rural. So... I'm thinking of one family in particular who, you know, there just hadn't really been a sufficient appreciation for the culture of agriculture and, and for the, the culture that this family exhibited and lived within. And it resulted in some really painful experiences for the family. And I just thought there's a better way of doing this. And so if I get the appropriate training, perhaps I might someday be able to help agricultural families be an advocate, have a voice and learn. Right. Because because if there's nothing, there's nothing in agriculture, if you're not learning every day, it's a it is if you want to be part of the the agricultural landscape, landscape, you're actually committing to learn every day (laughs) because our world is ever changing and agricultural landscape in Canada and around the world is is ever changing. And so I thought perhaps I'd be able to be part of that. After I got my degree, I worked with a few clients who agriculture clients who had gone to see a therapist and that therapist just didn't have an understanding, sorry, didn't have an understanding of agriculture. So an individual, you know, had lost their fifth generation farm to bankruptcy and went to see a therapist. And the therapist said, you know, it's, it's really not a big deal, you know, save up some money, just buy a smaller farm. Uh, So it really, you know, the, the grief piece wasn't appreciated and all those other pieces were neglected. And it was a poor experience. And, th- and there's a few other stories that I have. And so it it really myself and the other therapists, uh, Carrie Pollard and uh, Libby Ells, that was really what just drove us into this place of we need to ensure there's a voice in agriculture when it comes to mental health. That's from a lived experience and where farmers are getting the, the right support that they need. For sure. Well, you know, even speaking from my lived experience, I I didn't grow up in agriculture, came to it later in life and have experienced counseling before and after agriculture. And some of the advice and the knowledge shared is great 
if you don't have the barriers there. You know, everybody would love to have those eight hours of sleep and would love to get that half an hour of exercise. But when you're on a combine for 18 hours in a day, some of those tools just don't work. And to have somebody, like you said, that has lived that experience or at least can understand the magnitude of what we're doing out in the field or whatever type of season it is can really make or break somebody's experience of reaching out for help. Absolutely. You can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman Podcast Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the Rural Woman Podcast. So you and I, we got to meet in person at the FCC Women's Entrepreneur Summit in Guelph, Ontario, 2023. And I had the privilege of hearing you speak. And, you know, you spoke about specifically how we as women take care of ourselves while we step up and champion um, not only ourselves, but other women in the agriculture industry. I want to focus specifically on women and our mental health as we are on the Rural Woman podcast. (laughs) Not that the men's don't listen. They should listen because they would probably have a better insight of what's happening. (laughs) But what do you think are some of the unique barriers that you see women in agriculture face when it comes to mental health? You know, I can't go much further without acknowledging the vast roles women play on the farm. And it's it's interesting. I often talk to women and I'll hear them say, oh, well, I don't farm my husband farms. They say, I just help out with the books or, you know, I just drive the grain cart in the fall or something to that effect. And I, I there's this piece of me that screams because like you are a farmer, you play an incredible vital role on the farm. And uh, the some of the most concerning research, particularly post-COVID, that Dr. Leith Deacon and Dr. Brianna Hagen have talked about, is the significant decline in mental health and a sense of wellness among women in rural areas, specifically in agriculture. And, you know, there's all sorts of different reasons for that. But one of the main reasons is women are the sole supports for their spouses, we have all sorts of men who are struggling, and I'm, I'm using these generic terms. I recognize that, you know, it, it may encompass, you know, different identi- identities within it. But for the most part, I'm just going to, you know, kind of speak plainly that we have all sorts of men who are working full-time on farms, enduring chronic stress and, you know, some really tough situations. And their sole support is their spouse. They talk with their spouse and only their spouse. They don't go and see a counselor and they don't convey their struggles to friends and family members. And so that woman is taking on 
those stressors and is less likely to access her own mental health support unless her husband does first or as well. So I get all sorts of phone calls from women who are like, you know what, my husband really needs some help and some support. But the reality is, is behind that husband is oftentimes a woman who is, you know, juggling numerous responsibilities and pouring a lot of their efforts and their energies into the stability of their family and neglecting their own sense of wellness, which is actually a huge risk factor, you know, over the long term for both the family and, you know, in the broader sense, but for the individual woman. So, so barriers is number one is just recognizing the need and then ensuring that that need is communicated to others, which is very challenging for women in general is to say, okay, wait a minute, you know what? I can't be responsible for all of these responsibilities all of the time. I need, you know, to take a day and an afternoon to go and do something different off the farm and, and get physically getting off the farm is really important. I think we, we don't always recognize the value of actually physically getting off the farm because we live so isolated and so much can be delivered to us now. But specifically for the barriers is recognizing the need and then communicating that need. And then the other piece of it comes back to that agricultural awareness piece of it is really recognizing the various roles women play on the farm and how complicated that can be when you go to see a therapist. If you're seeing a therapist who, you know, maybe doesn't understand all of those pieces and says, well, you just need to do some more self-care. What if, what if you go and, you know, get a pedicure and a manicure? It's just not really realistic for a lot of, you know, women in agriculture. And if it is, it's fa- fabulous. That's wonderful. But I think we really need to, as as women step back and recognize what do we need? Because for me, it might be an ATV ride, (laughs) right? Like it might look completely different for some other uh, women. And so we need to spend that time kind of being mindful, recognizing what we need, communicating that need and implementing a plan. So you had mentioned something earlier about women when they're describing themselves and you know, they're describing themselves as, well, I'm just the farmer's wife or I'm just the bookkeeper. I'm not a farmer. And then further on talking about how do we communicate what our needs are and all of these things. I want to see if there's a thought that I can put together for this. I feel like there's some sort of correlation between women not knowing what their value is into knowing what they need. Because if they knew their value as that key role in the operation, then would they have an easier time sharing what they need? I don't think you could say it any more clearly, to be honest, Caitlin, because that piece about value is really neglected. And it's so unfortunate because when we recognize what we bring to the table, it's, I think, you know, we tend to think that even self-care or, you know, we're being selfish or we're being arrogant if we articulate what we bring to the effectiveness of an operation. But the reality is, is we're adding value to an operation. I mean, if someone was to kind of delineate everybody, a, a woman's role on the farm, it would be very difficult to encompass all of those responsibilities. And I'm not trying to diminish, I'm not saying that a woman's role is more important than a man's or within the context of a relationship, but I think we struggle as women to recognize our value, period. I was counseling one time this young woman, she had grown up on a farm, was very, very active on the farm, volunteered in her rural community, you know, was captain of her specific sports league, got straight A's 
And she was in my office wondering why she was sad so often. And I said to her, has anyone ever told you that you're precious? Has anyone ever told you that you have inherent worth? And she cried at that moment and said, no, I've, I've never, never heard that. And I don't think I believe it. And so there I, right there in that very moment, we were really faced with a lie or a, a truth moment where she needed, we needed to explore that. And I think, unfortunately, women are faced with that on a regular basis where we're not very good to recognize our value as being nurturers or our value at being mechanics and having been mechanically inclined or our value in being able to grow things or bake, like whatever that is. And I, I, I mean, outside of the traditional roles, I mean, whatever you bring has value. There isn't another woman like you in the entire world. And so if we championed that value of that individual, of that person, of ourselves, then it's much easier to recognize I have value, I bring value, therefore I need to care for myself so I can continue to bring what I are, what I do bring. But you're right, if we don't recognize that value, it's very challenging to then set a boundary or say what our need is because there's, there's this gap between value. And, and farmers are really, you know, we're preoccupied with productivity. We really like to ensure that everything is productive. And, you know, I understand that, but we often see productivity based on a financial component or based on a a materialism component rather than, you know, what we bring from an emotional perspective and stability that, that can be brought as well. Well, and I just think if our physical and emotional health aren't there or we're struggling, how do you make that bottom line be efficient? How do you make that profit if you don't have the right tools to do it? So if we're talking about machinery, if we're talking about harvest, if you don't have a combine, you can't get your harvest off and all of the other things. But if you don't have a healthy, well enough person to run that equipment, you don't have anything. It just seems really you know, when you take a step back and look at it, it makes sense. But when you're in it and when it is the busy time and you know you should be taking care of yourself and you are running on empty, it's really hard to make it seem so simple. Yeah. It is. It is. And and fair enough. I mean, when we get into that area, you know, part of our brain kind of takes over and says, ah, you just have to get all this work done, you know? And so that's part of our work with farmers though. I mean, we, we're long-term planners as farmers. We, we certainly can't just plan for tomorrow because we have a longevity to our occupation and to our lifestyle, and to our world, to our culture. And so it is important that we learn to step back and learn to take that deep breath and recognize this is, this is a marathon. And we need to ensure that we're making sure we're equipped for this marathon. Right. You had mentioned a big hot topic word earlier, and I'm I'm glad you did. One thing that I know is an issue for a lot of people in farming and specifically in any family business is the word boundary. Walk us through, first of all, what a boundary is. And second, how to construct an effective boundary. What a great question. You know, a boundary is, we tend to think of a boundary as this physical limitation that separates people one from the other. 
That's not actually true when we when we're talking about boundary and relationships or from a from a wellness perspective. Now, a boundary can be, you know, it, it certainly can be things. Uh, it, it certainly can be time and energy. But a boundary is really communicating to someone wh- where we say yes and where we say no. And I often tell the story of this lady who showed up at our farm one day and she looked very angry. And uh, she thrust out her arm. She had a long red line right down her arm. I knew exactly what she had done because we have an electric fence around our property. She had tried to climb through the electric fence. And so I said to her, could you tell me why you tried to climb through that electric fence? And she said, well, I wanted to feed the sheep. I wanted to take pictures of those lambs, sorry, uh, out in the pasture. And I said, well, now that you recognize there's a boundary there, now that you recognize that's a property line, and now that you've asked permission, I'm happy to do that for you. In fact, I'll make up some milk and you can go and feed the lambs. In other words, you see that boundary was in place. It was well-established and it got tested. And so those boundaries are there to force people. A lot of times we think boundaries are just to kind of keep things in, right? To protect ourselves. But the reality is the boundary is, yes, it is for that reason. It is to protect ourselves. It is to preserve our energy. It is, it is to ensure the energy we have goes to get the uh, increase that we're looking for, right? So I sometimes set a boundary with our family where we're not going to have a lot of people over. We're just going to spend time as a family. That's to ensure that our energy is poured into our family and we as a family reap the benefits of that. But on the flip side of it, setting a boundary is also for other people on the other side of the fence. It's a way that we establish care for others is actually by setting a boundary. You see, when we set a boundary, we force the person on the other side of the fence to get resourceful. We force the people on the other side of the fence to develop their own skills and to communicate. And that's what boundary is. I mean, boundary is, it it is about setting some limitations. It's also about uh, using your clarification skills and using your communication skills to express to people what you need to thrive and what you need to have respected. And it's a word that we're tossing around a lot because, you know, for a long time, I think we just assumed boundaries were were in place. You know, we had certain societal structures that kind of established boundaries and, and weren't always well followed. And so now we've really come to this place where we've learned our world can easily drain us and we have a responsibility to ourselves, to our families, to those around us, to our communities, to set boundaries, whatever those look like. So it might mean, you know what, I'm not going to take phone calls after 10 o'clock or I'm not going to answer emails on certain times. I'm going to kind of close my computer down. Those are very effective boundaries. I always encourage people to set some boundaries around time and space and energy. It also might mean that, you know, you're not going to allow your neighbor to come over every day to sit or to borrow things endlessly. So boundaries can look different for different people at different times. The good news is also boundaries can change throughout life to fit the circumstance. But it is important that it's a conversation that happens both between ourselves and those who are really in close proximity. Even with people in close proximity, sometimes we have to set boundaries. And that sounds counterproductive. In fact, in it, certainly even in relationships between parents and children and sometimes between spouses, we have a responsibility to communicate our needs and we have a responsibility to set some boundaries to say, that's something I can't do. Uh, you know, this is this is what I need to do in place of that. And, you know, really effective relationships require really effective communication and boundary 
communication is part of that story. So I love how you broke it into two pieces of the boundaries, not only for us, but it's for them. And I just think that through communication, if you can have clarity for yourself and others, what a gift that is not only for you personally, but for your operation and for your business to not have to guess. You know, the amount of times that I've sat there and tried to guess my way through a situation of, you know, should I do it this way? Should I do it that way? Am I doing this right? When a simple phone call or uh, better communication could have fixed all of those things. And we live and we learn through them. But I know boundaries can seem, like you had said, some people have viewed them as a negative, but I think they're so positive. I so agree with you because it's really in when we offer boundaries, we offer clarity, right? Expectations are clearly delineated. And structure as far as if this is the plan, this is what we're doing, then expectations for relationships are really easy to understand, easy to follow. It's much easier to meet one another's needs when we've set those expectations and when we've set those boundaries. And I think think boundaries have such a negative connotation because it sounds like you're like setting this line that nobody should ever cross. And, And that's not really what boundaries are doing at all. Boundaries are, are simply saying we're we're putting a framework in place for our betterment and for yours. And so in this relationship, these are some things that are that look like boundaries to us. So one of the questions that I've been often asked, and when I've been sitting in conference rooms when we're talking about mental health and mental wellness, it's always the well, my friend or some guy, you know, might have a problem, or I know this person who I think is struggling. How do I help them? That is one of the biggest questions, whether they are asking for themselves or whether they're asking for a loved one. What are some ways that you suggest that we bring up the topic of mental wellness, whether that's sharing our own struggles with somebody that we love, or if there's somebody that you love that you can see is struggling, what are some soft launch ways to have those conversations? Well, I I love what you've asked me here because, you know, unfortunately for whatever reasons, we have these beliefs and we've have these kind of emotional expectations, so to speak, where we, it's like these do not go areas. And, And I've worked with lots of clients who have those, you know, oh, we can't talk about that. It's interesting. I, I've I've worked with some really, obviously, I, I won't give any names, but just some really prominent individuals in the agriculture industry from a mental health perspective. And I'm always kind of amazed at after they've experienced, you know, some success, they're like, wow, you know, and they tell people. And, and so the interesting thing I find with farmers, so often I hear people say, oh, well, farmers don't want to talk about it. I'm like, actually, I find the opposite. When we've had a good positive experience with counseling or when we've had a positive mental health kind of breakthrough, whether that's with counseling or maybe medication or just family uh, kind of coming alongside and sharing us up because we've communicated our needs, you know, the fallout from that is actually we're willing to talk about it. Like we, which is kind of the key to success is our willingness to say, Hey, you know what? I went through a hard time before I, I know what it's like. And Uh, You know, I don't know your exact circumstance. I don't know exactly what you're experiencing, but this is what I found helpful. It is absolutely liberating 
And I think it's happening more often now, which I'm, I'm thrilled for. But as a family member, you're right. So often we're like, well, Jim Bob down the road, I think, right? right when we're really, we're really struggling ourselves. And so I, I also want to say that's okay. If you're not at a place where you can say, you know what, I'm struggling, or I noticed my husband's struggling, that's okay. But if you're working with somebody one-on-one, I really encourage you to get curious. I think oftentimes we make assumptions, unfortunately, and, and sometimes we are afraid of simply asking the questions. So I, I invite you to ask some of those hard questions from a place of curiosity. In other words, hey, you know, I've noticed that you're not sleeping so well. You know, help me understand what's going on. If we come to that place through curiosity rather than from a, you know, like a very strong, like you're struggling, you need help, you need to go talk to someone, that's not helpful. We just get defensive for, for good reason. We get defensive. And so instead, if we can approach things through curiosity, I often say, say to people, it's like you kind of drop a stone in the water and let the ripples do the work, right? You, you can step away. So if it's within family members or with a spouse or, you know, a good girlfriend and, and that you are really connecting with, you just like, you know what, I'm wondering if it would be helpful if we explored this together. And, you know, if you can go to the session with them, help them make that phone call with them and come alongside. Uh, but it's also okay to kind of drop that pebble and allow it to percolate and allow it. We, we sometimes, I mean, as farmers, we typically are fixers by nature. We like to jump in there and kind of solve problems and we can't always do that. And so we need to allow the process where we can remain curious. We can be as supportive as possible in that vein. You know, it is important that we gain the language around emotional, uh, like emotional language. I think so often I hear farmers who are like, well, you know, I'm just overwhelmed or it's been a really hard year and, uh, you know, my beans didn't do so good. It's been really wet, you know, and so we're okay with saying those things, but we need to take it just a step farther and say, you know what, those feelings of being overwhelmed mean I'm, I'm sad or I'm scared, you know, or you know, what's behind those feelings of anger? Is it okay to say, okay, wait a minute. You know, I, I'm scared. It is actually okay that you feel scared. It's a very natural, normal human emotion, or you feel sad because things didn't turn out the way that you had hoped that that's a very natural human emotion. And so we have to give space for that to occur. And that's one of the ways that we can support one another is kind of encourage that conversation along the way. Right. You bring up the topic of, you know, being able to speak about emotional language even the term mental health, mental health isn't a negative thing. When you say I have mental health, but we all have mental health. We have mental wellness. We have mental anguish. We have all of these different things. Mental health is an all-encompassing umbrella word. Um, And like you said, being able to break it down to the actual pinpoint of the emotions where I'm sad or I'm happy or I have anxiety or I am feeling low or whatever it is. Um, Like you said, being able to dig deep into those and even just sharing your own experience about something as simple as that allows the person that you're talking to to be like, oh, it's okay to talk about these things with you. Or if you do talk to somebody about it and you kind of get that yucky feeling it's okay to recognize that you're not emotionally safe to talk to that person. Maybe not right now, 
but in the future, maybe. But I know there's been conversations that I've had where I know I've felt open and I've shared and it almost felt like I hit a brick wall and it's a really yucky feeling. It is. It is. And I, you know, I appreciate your courageousness to have that conversation in the beginning because it, there is vulnerability. Uh, you know, anytime we share a story about our own sense of wellness, there's, vul- I mean, there's vulnerability it, within the agriculture community. I don't know if anybody else notices it, but we're actually quite highly competitive. You know, it's, it's, it's not a day goes by where on Facebook, somebody's not posting, you know, well, my, I got so many bushels per acre or my beans are, are up and, you know, I've got 99% catch rate or whatever it is. Like, you know, we tend to be quite competitive. And I think that's, again, goes back to that conversation about value that's tied to production we really need to kind of break up with that idea, to be honest. But kind of coming back to your point there about kind of opening yourself up, I, I'm not sure if you've ever, I'm sure you've heard of Brené Brown. She talks about vulnerability and, uh, you know, without kind of recompassing her story, she used a sign language interpreter to talk about vulnerability. And the sign language was was a person's knees kind of buckling under themselves. And she said, oh, that's not the vulnerability I'm talking about. And so the the individual said, oh, well, this is the other form, which encompasses two hands kind of opening up one's chest. And she said, that's vulnerability. It's really important that we understand that there is a space for that vulnerability where we open ourselves up. There's also an ability to close that back up and be protective of ourselves because you're right. There's times where we hit that brick wall. And if you if you experience that, I want to invite you to say to yourself, well done for taking the risk and then well done for protecting yourself. It's okay to close yourself back up and say, this isn't safe right now. I'm going to, maybe someday I'll come back to that. Maybe someday that person will come back to me and say, you know, I, I didn't receive it well at that time because it was just too much for me. And, uh, you know, like there's all sorts of reasons why you feel that kind of shutdown. So it's okay to protect yourself. And, and we have to be willing to do that. That's part of that boundary setting as well is that when we are vulnerable. And when we kind of share our story with someone else and that story is not well-received, it's precious. Your story is precious. You are precious. And so it's also okay to protect that story. We do that through boundaries. We also do that with gaining trust from one another. You know, it's obviously my hope that as farmers, we can be welcoming to that conversation. If as farmers and, you know, as fellow women, if we opened ourselves up to those conversations and we became safe places, we would be a stronger community for it. In fact, the research is actually outstanding where it talks about the strength of, uh, they call it social capital, but it just means that our ability to share with one another and to team up with one another grows when we, we open ourselves up. But if that's not possible, you do have a responsibility to protect yourself until you're in a season or in a stage where that safety is found. Absolutely. How do you suggest that we advocate our own needs to those around us, to those in our industry? How do we do that for ourselves? And how do we advocate the needs for mental health resources for our families and for our communities? Well, I mean, the first thing we that brings us back to the story of recognizing their own value. I, I don't think I can stress that enough. If you could just take a few minutes to say, what are some of the character traits that I love about myself? And not the things that you've done. I mean, those are all wonderful and valid. You've, I mean, there isn't anybody on this that's listening to this that hasn't worked hard and hasn't accomplished things. 
but go even one step deeper. What are some of the character traits, some of the the pieces of your story that have really shaped you? Recognize your value for that. Because as you said earlier, when we recognize our value, we're able to advocate for ourselves. We're able to communicate those needs. And the next steps for advocacy for self is, it comes back to that vulnerability, uh, opening ourselves up to one another, but then recognizing the preciousness of our story. You know, I it wasn't very long ago where we weren't able, for for lack of a better way of communicating, we weren't able to really convey our needs, you know, from a cultural perspective. And so I think we've really come into a space where there is room for it. And we need to, as women, step forward quite boldly and courageously to say, you know, it's okay that I'm not, it's okay that I'm broken. You know, I often, whenever I'm I'm speaking, I often talk about, you know, we all have stuff. There isn't anyone around you that hasn't had a uh, hard piece to their story. It it is, it has shaped who we've become as as women in general. And so, part of that advocacy is is of course recognizing your value, recognizing that you've got a few scars of your own. And the advocacy piece is saying these scars have caused me to be brave enough to share my story with others and help others. And then to access resources. We have a wealth of resources at the National Farmers Mental Health Alliance. You can find us online. And I invite you to reach out to us. I invite you to share your story and come alongside. And, you know, the the reality is, is we really are stronger together. And so finding that right therapist for you or finding that family member that's willing to really hear you and validate and support. And then also being willing and brave enough to say, what skills do I need to gain in order to change things? I don't want to stay in this place. I want to change things. And and being willing to do that is is really critical. Right. And not only does that help you as a person, but it's like you said, it's the ripple effect that it will help others once you have the skills and knowledge for yourself to support yourself, your family. It goes out into the community, it goes out into the industry, and it just makes it a better place for everybody. I think this podcast is the perfect example. I mean, Caitlin, when you started out, I, I doubt you had any idea that it would grow to this community. And now we have women all across basically the world who are encouraged by one another. And I think it's a, it's a testimony to the strength that, that we offer one another. Our stories are encouraging. And part of that story is, is our mental and emotional health. Absolutely. And our stories matter. And that's why I started the podcast to share our stories because they have value and they matter. That's right. Absolutely. It has been my absolute pleasure chatting with you today. My last question for you, is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you? Oh, I think it's being part of the entire community uh, as a rural woman, being able to see value. A couple of uh, maybe years ago, I spoke to this young woman who was new into agriculture and she said to me, when do I get to sell my animals under my name? And I said, oh, what do you you mean? She said, well, in order to get a good price, I have to sell my animals under my uncle's name or my brother's name or my dad's name. And I I was a little bit kind of taken aback, although it's true, because I often, I make sure that when we sell it, we sell it under our farm name. And so I think one of the greatest rewards being part of this agricultural community is realizing that as women, we have so much to offer 
uh, our communities and our industry. And so we are at that stage where we can use our own name, where we can champion one another, where we can come alongside one another. And so the greatest reward is seeing women step into those places of leadership with great humility. That's a topic for a whole nother podcast that I just love, but I've seen women actually uh, to step into those roles that they are positioned for, that they are capable, that they have great wisdom to bring. And it's, it's a privilege to mentor others through that process. And then when, uh, when we get stuck to kind of lock arms together and, and to change that trajectory. Amazing. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. For folks who would like to connect with you online, where can they find you? You can find us at www.nfmha.ca. We're the National Farmers Mental Health Alliance. And uh, you can absolutely connect with us through there and obviously on Facebook and uh, through all those other venues. Perfect. And I will link that in the show notes as well as all of the other links to find you and connect with you. And thank you again so much for sharing your story with us. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Caitlin. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story.